All right, Hosea 11. God longs for his people. Hosea 11. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria. He will be their king, because they refused to return to me. And the sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me, though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One of the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord, he will roar like a lion, indeed he will roar, and his sons will come trembling from the west, they will come trembling like birds from Egypt, and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Ephraim surrounds me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. Amen. We have in this chapter uh, the Lord going back and forth to the people generally that he calls Ephraim and Israel, and also specifically to the remnant that he calls Ephraim and Israel. But also, beginning at verse 1, he calls Christ by this name, Israel. He prophesies, Hosea the prophet prophesies that Christ will experience what the nation of Israel also experienced in Egypt. Beginning at verse 1. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This is certainly true of the nation in Egypt when they were in their infancy, when they were young, when they did not yet have a land and a king, boundaries, borders, when they didn't have any of those, that was when Israel was in its youth. They just had a massive population. But in reference to what Hosea means, he's referring to the, the coming Christ. Because this is cited in Matthew 2.15, Matthew 2.15, as being fulfilled in Christ. And if we consult Isaiah 49.3, Isaiah 49.3, we have an example of Christ being called Israel. Isaiah 49, and we'll start at verse 1, 1, and we'll read 1 to 4. 
Isaiah 49.1 Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. If you notice the pronouns in this section of Isaiah 49, 1 to 4, most of these pronouns have to do with Christ. The pronouns are capitalized in the New American Standard Bible. They are capitalized because the editors of the NASB also believe that this is a prophecy of Christ, Christ speaking these words to the Father. The Father and the Son have a dialogue going on here. By verse 3, it says, And he, the Father, said to me, the Son, You are my servant, Israel. God the Father calls his Son, Israel, my servant Israel. Well, Matthew, knowing these things, being an astute interpreter of Scripture, he quotes Hosea 11.1 1 in Matthew 2.13-15. Matthew 2.13-15. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. When Christ was an infant, his parents fled to Egypt and then he was called out of Egypt when Herod died and return to the land of Israel. Well, that kind of going and coming is in Hosea 11 as well, and in the history of Israel. And that's what Hosea's prophesying. He's prophesying this because he's reminding the people that their experiences are similar to Christ's experiences. However, they don't believe in Christ, Hosea 11.2. The majority of the people don't believe, verse 2. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. The more they called them. Who are the they and who are the them? The they are the prophets of God, the true prophets. Them refers to the people of Israel. The more the prophets of God called the people of Israel to repentance, the more they went from them. That is, the more the people avoided and ditched the prophets and even persecuted some of them to death. Not only did they do that, but they kept worshiping their idols, sacrificing and burning incense to idols, lifeless idols. 
A sacrifice. A sacrifice is something one gives up. That's why it's called a sacrifice. They are willing to give up their possessions to worship idols by them instead of honoring the giver of those sacrifices or the gifts, whether animals or fruit or grain or here even incense. Incense smells good, right? Incense smells good. It's a reminder of the goodness of God, the fragrance of His Word and the Gospel of Christ, the prayers of the saints, as it says in the book of Revelation, that incense signifies the prayers of the saints arising up to God. Well, instead of offering these to God, they give these sacrifices to worthless, vain idols. They don't obey the prophets, they disobey the prophets, and they dishonor God. Verse 3. In contrast, this is what God has done for them, yet they reject Him. But in contrast, what did God do? Verse 3, He further explains. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. They were broken, bruised, tattered. They were young. They were in infancy. They did not know what to do. And God is the one who took them by the hand or in the arms and carried them and took care of them. He did everything to take care of them, to heal them, to provide for them. But they didn't appreciate it. Verse 4, I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. God lovingly cared for them. He took the yoke away from them, reminding us of the yoke of slavery. He took that away from them. He bent down and he fed them. He tenderly cared for his own people, giving whatever was necessary. No appreciation. Verse 5. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria. He will be their king because they refuse to return to me. Now the prediction is that they will go into exile to Assyria and the king of Assyria will rule over them. He will be the dictator. He's going to be their emperor in this kingdom and empire. The king of Assyria. Ruthless, they loved the idols of Assyria, so the king of Assyria rules over them because they refuse to return to me. They are going to go out of the land, be punished because they refused to repent. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They refuse that. Instead of turning to God, they turned to the nations and their sins. Well, they're going to be punished. Verse 6, they refuse repentance. God refuses compassion. Verse 6, 
The sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their councils. The foreign sword is going to conquer cities and gates and destroy their strongholds, destroy their towers, destroy their fortresses, their citadels, all gone, destroyed and demolished. Why? Because of their councils. The people giving them advice, their counselors mislead them. Instead of giving godly counsel from the word, they invent their own wisdom and they dispense that to the people. False prophets do it. Everybody does it, low or high, young or old, male, female. It doesn't matter. They're all giving wrong counsel to each other. Instead of going to the word, they go to one another. Verse 7, so my people are bent on turning from me. Similar to verse 5, they refuse to return to me. They are bent on turning from me. It's as though it's like a piece of metal that's hard to unbend once it's bent in a certain direction. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. Again, this they, they call them, it's like verse 2. Though they, the prophets of God, call them, the people of God, Israel, they're calling them to God on high, the living God, the God of heaven, but no one exalts him. No one acknowledges him. Although, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God in the form of corruptible man, of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Romans 1, 21 to 23. They don't exalt him, they refuse to. These are people who have a stubborn, rebellious nature and they won't do what's right. But verse 8, 8 to 11. Now, using the same word, words such as Ephraim and Israel, God now addresses the elect. He addresses his people in verses 8 to 11. How, how do we know he is addressing them? We'll see in a moment. Verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? He already said he's going to do that in verses 5 to 7. They refused his grace, the grace of verses 1 to 4. So they get his punishment in verses 5 to 7. Who then is this Ephraim and Israel in verses 8 to 11? It has to be the remnant, the elect, the believers, those who receive mercy. That's why he says he can't give them up. He can't surrender them. He's not going to punish them the way he punishes the wicked. How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim. These are the small towns surrounding nearby Sodom and Gomorrah. From Deuteronomy 29.23. Deuteronomy 29.23 
Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, they're all mentioned together. You remember in Genesis 18 and 19, by chapter 19, when God's going to destroy the cities, there were five originally destined to destruction. But God let Lot flee to Zoar, a small one, perhaps the smallest of these five, and he didn't destroy Zoar. But he did destroy the other four, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim. He destroyed them. So now he's saying he's not going to destroy Ephraim and Israel like that. My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. God has compassion on whom he has compassion. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. His compassions are welling up toward his redeemed people. Verse 9. Verse 9, I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. See, the wrath of God is removed toward the redeemed. And why is it? For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Since he's God, since he's the Holy One, since he's the Holy One in their midst, he's not going to come in wrath. Well, how does it help to say, since I'm God, I'm not going to... Because God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. The glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. 1 Samuel 15, 29. He will not lie nor change his mind. That means that whatever his secret, sovereign, mysterious will is toward his people, he will accomplish it and he's not going to change his mind. If he's determined to show compassion, he's not going to execute his fierce anger on them. They deserve it, but they won't receive it. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 10 and 11, trembling, trembling at an ominous, loud voice of a lion. That's the key in verses 10 and 11. Trembling at the roaring of a lion. Who is the lion? God. And who comes trembling to God? The remnant. The remnant come trembling to God, verses 10 and 11. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar. And his sons will come trembling from the west. It is God who roars like a lion to shake up and to jolt the remnant to awaken them from their stupor and stupidity. He does so. And when they realize his holiness, when they realize their sin, when they realize the condemnation that awaits them if they don't repent and believe, what happens? The trembling sinner calls out to God and clings to God. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Remember, the tax collector said, Luke 18, 9 to 14, 9 to 15. In Luke 18, 9 to 15, the tax collector said that. 
Here too, when we understand our sin, we cry out to God in trembling. And here it's his sons will come trembling from the West. This is a reference to the nations of the world becoming his sons. Remember Hosea 1 said that? Hosea chapters 1, 10, 1, 10 and 2, 23 spoke of the Gentiles being his people, his sons in his family. And further, he describes their trembling. 11, they will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. He describes their trembling like birds and specifically like doves. When birds hear a sound that troubles them, what do they do? Their heads are always looking all around. Their eyes are ready. They fly away. They move away very quickly. The slightest threat causes them to flee, right? Tremble and flee. That's the way the people should be when they repent of sin and come to, go, uh, come to Christ. They should be like that. Then God will bless them, verse 11, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Then blessing comes. True blessing doesn't come from idols. True blessing comes from the Lord when we repent, come to him in fear and trembling, and believe everything he says. And at that point on, obey him. Verse 12. Now he returns to fake Ephraim. He returns in verse 12, and he's going to continue with this fake Ephraim into chapter 12. Verse 12. Ephraim surrounds me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. That's the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, Judah, is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. The northern tribes, the southern tribes. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Full of lies, deceit, unruliness, and unfaithfulness, whereas God is faithful. God is faithful like a faithful husband. But Israel, like an unfaithful wife, goes against God. This lies and deceit, they are the methods of carrying out sin. If you think about what lies and deceit are, they are the, the machinations, they are the methods of the way people carry out sin. There has to be some color of deception when people sin. Either they deceive themselves or they deceive others or they think they're deceiving God. In one way or another, deceit has a role to play in sin. And it shouldn't surprise us. John eight forty four. The devil is a liar the father of lies, and a murderer. So deceit is the means to produce death. Deceit produces death, alienation. Against God, 
He's faithful, but we're unfaithful. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.